Welcome to Whores Talk Whore. We're not really whores. We just like wordplay. Hello and welcome to Whores Talk Horror. I'm Sharon. And I'm Melinda. And this is our July Tidbits of Terror episode. Sponsor, you know what to do. Tidbits of Terror. Terror Tidbits. Tidbits of Terror. Terror Tidbits. Rawr, 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 rawr. Rawr. <laughs> oh, good. My mic's working. Uh, thank you to our honorary whore extraordinaire, Carrie Weeder, for our Tidbits of Terror theme song. This month, we say goodbye to a longtime film and television legend, talk shutter news. We have a new segment we'd like to call, What's Mike Flanagan Up To? Because seriously, we seem to have new news about him every month here on Horse Talk Horror. And we've got much more, so we should just get right to it, shouldn't we? Let's do it. All right. Well, to start, uh, we'd be remiss if we did not mention that legendary filmmaker Richard Donner, who directed, among so many other things, the horror classic The Omen back in 1976, passed away on July 5th at the ripe age of 91. I didn't know he was that old. Good for him. It's a good long life. Right? Yeah. Um, he Donner is responsible for some of the best horror and even non-horror in general, in films and television. Um, I didn't quite realize or I forgot, he was a creative force and an executive producer of the original Tales from the Crypt show on TV. I didn't really realize that. Uh, but he also directed uh, classic episodes, The Ventriloquist Dummy, Dig That Cat, He's Real Gone, and Showdown. Donner also directed the classic Twilight Zone episodes, Nightmare at 20,000 Feet, which I saw at a young age, and I'm not saying it inspired my fear of flying, but I'm also not not saying it didn't at least plant the seed. <laughs> Is that um, the one with the, the gremlin on the wing of the plane? And Shatner. Yeah. 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 So good. And then he also directed Come Wander With Me, which I know by title, but I don't, I'm on, I have, maybe have to dig that one up and rewatch it. Um, his non-horror directorial credits for television include episodes from such shows as The Man from Uncle, Gilligan's Island, Perry Mason, the original, not the new HBO show, which I hear is great, um, Get Smart and Kojak, among, and that's like just a few that I've named. Donner's film credits are crazy impressive. Aside from The Omen, he also directed Superman, Scrooged, and all four lethal weapon movies okay uh, but there's so many more to add to that list most importantly though at least to us Richard Donner directed one of my and Sharon and I think maybe Spencer's two very favorite movies the Goonies of course hey you guys <laughs> <laughs> I, that movie still holds up and will always hold a very very special place in our hearts um and if anybody's feeling like they need a little Goonie nostalgia at this moment, I highly, highly, highly recommend revisiting the season two opener of one of my favorite shows slash animated pieces of joy ever, the show Bob's Burgers. Um, the episode is season two, episode one. It's called The Belchies. The first time I saw the episode, I didn't quite pick up at first where they were going with it. But the ending literally made me get all misty-eyed while laughing my ass off 
which is something that like Bob's Burgers excels at and does to me regularly. But it's an adorable fucking tribute to the Goonies. And quick pro tip, make sure you have the captions on for the very last scene. So if yeah, it's a good it's a good way to say goodbye. I think it's a really sweet episode. I know I've seen that episode because I've seen almost all of the Bob's Burgers episodes, but it's not coming to mind. Yeah, so maybe me too. I'll, uh, oh maybe my God. Spencer and I will watch that tonight. We're going to watch a couple horror movies, so we might need a palate cleanser. <laughs> yeah, and it's like, it was funny because that you'll, you'll know what I'm talking about when they get to the end, of course, but as it was approaching the ending, I was like, you know what this is like? And then it was more and more like the Goonies, and then something that I don't want to spoil happens at the very end, and I was like, screaming and jumping up and down with excitement um and if you have the bob's burgers soundtrack you would have access to part of this as well just throwing that out there bob's burgers doesn't sponsor this show but holy shit that would be amazing if they did (laughs) anyway back to richard donner look at everything you inspired richard donner i mean seriously like a cartoon an animated cartoon made this brilliant tribute because your shit was so good so in closing i'm gonna paraphrase mikey's farewell to one-eyed willie Bye, Richard Donner. Thanks. Bye, Richard Donner. All right. Well, let's move on to our new segment. What's Mike Flanagan up to? (laughs) I think we need a fun, like, animated graphic or something for that. Like a drawing. This is a podcast. I don't think we need a graphic. No, but but like uh, for... Carrie, if you want to make us another jingle. (laughs) No, but like for branding and stuff. Like we use it on social or on YouTube. Just Just throwing that out there. True, true, true. I I wasn't thinking about that. We all know that Mike Flanagan and his wife, Kate Siegel, are a really great Hollywood power couple who often work together in Flanagan's miniseries and also his films. They're both extremely talented, and somehow they still have time to raise two children together. They're not human. I know. They're superheroes. I don't know when they sleep. I don't know. Yeah, it's beyond me. And she's fucking gorgeous. Like, how does she maintain that? I... I, without any sleep um agree um but should kate be jealous of a little competition what because mike flanagan is teaming up yet again with netflix to bring us another what is sure to be killer series pun intended flanagan and netflix just might be the new hollywood it couple so according to comicbookmovie.com it was announced that mike flanagan and netflix are pairing up to produce a new pilot based on the hit boom studios comic something is killing the children Something is Killing the Children is an original comic book created by writer James Tinian IV and artist Werther Daladera. I don't think those are real names. <laughs> so they're not human. They have alien uh, associates or, co- or colleagues that make these things happen. Those are cool names. I've they never heard cool. the name Werther. Well, except for Werther's the originals. <laughs> um, but as a first name... That's, yeah, very, very unique. I like it. Um, But the comic focuses on the town Archer's Peak. As children go missing without explanation, the town is sent into a frenzy. But when some of the kids return, it isn't cause for celebration quite yet. Those that do bring with them haunting stories of monsters that live deep in the shadows around us. When all seems hopeless, a mysterious stranger named Erica Slaughter enters their town. 
Erica's job, she kills monsters. And she's willing to do anything and everything to save Archer's Peak from what awaits them. The horror comic debuted in 2019 as a limited series, but eventually turned into an ongoing project due to its overwhelmingly positive reception. I had never heard of this comic before, but I haven't really been into comics in like 20 years. I used to read comics and graphic novels, but yeah. was, it, was it? Oh, Preacher is what you used to read, right? Preacher and um, well, I started reading The Walking Dead and then um, I used to really like Johnny the Homicidal Maniac as mm. well. And then also Squee, which was like the spinoff from Johnny the Homicidal Maniac. That's also um, what I say sometimes for fun. Squee. <laughs> and then just like some other like random horror comics and mm. shit like that. But um, yeah, this actually sounds really cool. Uh, I, 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 I kind of laughed when you said erica slaughter because i was gonna say i didn't want to cut you off but i was gonna say i wonder what she does slaughters um but yeah i I, I like the concept for this it sounds kind of like lay revenance meets guillermo del toro something like that yeah but then like with the slaughter aspect i feel like there's one other there's something else i want to toss in there but i was totally thinking of sharon said better than I probably could the French title the way it's pronounced but at the returned but the original French series not the sad American attempt at a remake (laughs) so Flanagan will not be working on the project alone his longtime collaborator Trevor Macy will function as the showrunner for the series Hmm. Trevor has been a producer on I think pretty much all of Flanagan's projects since Oculus. I think he's worked on every single one since then. Production has only just been announced and the project is still in the very early development stages. So unfortunately, we are going to have to wait for a while in anticipation to see the monsters of Archer's Peak come to life on the small screen. But before then, we're going to get Midnight Mass. So we'll, we'll have something to tide us over in between. And also... I'm assuming that the Midnight Club might come out before this comes out, or I'd, maybe he's going to simultaneously work on these projects together. Like I said, I don't know when he sleeps, but I'm so excited for more Flanagan series because so far, Bly Manor and Haunting of Hill House, amazing. Just he knocks it out of the park every damn time. Okay, well, that's awesome news. Thank you, Sharon. And, uh, you know, keeping with the creepy uh scary movies and even specifically halloween tv specials we all know have no seasonal limits uh here at horse talk horror we keep it scary all year round uh this week though i found a halloween special from 1995 that i never knew existed nor had i ever seen sharon did you ever see the state's 43rd annual all-star halloween special no and (laughs) wait the 43rd yeah did I need to see the first 42 as well? Because I no. hadn't seen any of those. No. Um, <laughs> I hadn't either. And it's not on the DVD series release that came out a few years ago. Uh, nor do any copies streaming or otherwise appear to exist. Um, but this is why God made YouTube. Uh, you, you can thankfully watch the entire episode, which is about roughly an hour, which I've already done twice. So um, for those of you younger folks that might be listening and might not know uh, in the early 90s uh, the state was a comedy show on 
MTV, which used to show music videos and was now first just showing television shows. It was like one of the first ones they did. Um, and this, it stars like yeah, I was Tom gonna... Lennon and Michael Ian Black. And if you've seen What Had American Summer, it's basically like the entire cast of What Had American Summer practically yeah, th- in this sketch comedy show. Yeah. And Reno 911, like that's how they all those guys started. And I was going to say that, yeah everybody pretty much from the cast went on to do awesome shit. And then they stopped airing on MTV around 1994-ish. And I found out that it was because the cast of the state decided to try and leave MTV and get a slot on CBS primetime television. Um, And that's what this Halloween special was a a product of said move to CBS. Uh, And it did air on primetime TV, on CBS in 1995, but despite critical praise and acclaim, the state's offbeat humor was a little too weird for your average CBS viewer at the time. <laughs> um, Let's promote- go to the zoo and watch the monkeys do it. They honestly, I, I would argue that they ratchet up the weird in this special even more so. Yes. To yeah. this day, Mindy, you and I, and even Spencer will still like randomly just sing little brown dog food, little brown dog food, little brown dog food. Oh my God. It's the best. <laughs> we just alienated half of our listeners. There right was now. that Barry character that my friend Jonah showed me to. And he says this one thing. <laughs> I love it. I love it. I love it. Oh yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's very quotable. It's a very yeah. quotable show. Very irre- like irreverent humor. Like it, it's awesome. But, it's just uh, absurd humor, which I love. If it's if absurd humor is done very very well, it's it's just the best. And I would argue that like these guys, specifically David Wayne, who uh, directed Wet Hot American Summer and and mostly directs now. Like I just I kind of have a crush on him. Anyway, uh, that's neither here nor there. Um, <laughs> so the comedy was a little too weird for the average CBS viewer, as I was saying, um, which might have actually been helped if promotion had been done about the show. But CBS never fucking bothered, which led to predictably dismal ratings, because how the fuck are you going to watch something or know what it is? if you don't know it's going to be on TV. Um, There's a lot, there are more details about this that are very easily found online, but uh, basically low ratings, absurd comedy, skip to the end, the CBS deal fell through. Um, We'll post the YouTube link in our show notes for sure, but if you are a fan of the state, you're going to want to watch this. It's a blast. It even lives up to its all-star title with utterly hysterical celebrity appearances. It's amazing. Very quickly, I have to mention that Carrie Kenny is on full display with her badass self in this special. Carrie has been on like It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia, like tons of like sitcoms and stuff here and there. She's a character actress from the state. Rena um, thank you. Yeah, she's she's Weigel. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Carrie fucking owns what is, in my opinion, one of the best balls out, yet sadly still very relevant commentary that blatantly calls out gender equality issues in the workplace. In the case of this sketch, that workplace is a TV soundstage, but the commentary is sharp, biting, and and again, sadly, 100% relevant today. 
So it's easily applicable to all professions, really. Carrie fucking nails the scene, and that scene alone made it really, really worth it to watch. So I was really grateful I found this. Um, like I said, we'll put the link to it in the show notes. It's not me who uploaded it to YouTube. It's a different user. But uh, Sharon, I think you know what everyone has to do. Put it on the list. Put it on the list. Yeah. I actually want to stop recording right now so I can go watch this. It's only like an hour. And I, like I said, I've watched it twice already. Oh, my God. All right. Yeah. We're, we're definitely watching this tonight along with the Bob's Burgers episode. And I have one friend who I guarantee knows nothing about this, who is a huge fan of the state, who introduced me to the state. So I'm going to send him this link um, after we're done recording because I know he's going to want to see this as well. I mean, I I literally saw a passing reference to it somewhere and was like, I'm sorry, what? And I pulled out the state DVD set and I'm like, it's not on here and had to do digging. But yeah, at least it's on YouTube. So Awesome. Actually, and I'm totally wrong. He didn't introduce me to the state. We were watching the state in high school. Yeah, so. we were. So we were cool. <laughs> All right. Let's move on to Shutter News. <sighs> I just shuddered. Get it? <laughs> I felt it. I felt it over here. <laughs> All right. So we mentioned last month in our June Tidbits episode that Shudder is running a summer horror lineup titled Summer of Chills, where they will be showing 12 exclusive films throughout the summer. July brought us four new exclusive horror films to the lineup. Plus, there are some horror classics coming to Shudder that we also want to mention as well. So July's lineup started on July 8th with the movie Sun, in which a woman comes to terms with terrifying changes in her child after he's kidnapped. One of my favorite actors, Emile Hirsch, is in this. Mm. It's directed by Ivan Kavanaugh, who previously made the 2014 Irish horror film The Canal, which mm. I know I saw, but I'm not um, not really remembering the details. So. Same, yeah. But I've heard a lot of good things about Sun. I heard it's a tearjerker, so um, bring some Kleenex. <laughs> I was going to say, the premise alone, I might need to skip this one, but we'll see. He, he, I do think, Emil, I agree about Hirsch, though. He's pretty great as an actor. Yes, I've kind of loved him ever since Into the Wild. On July 15th, The Call was released starring Saw's Tobin Bell and Insidious's Lynn Shay as a sinister old couple who trap a group of friends in their house. I like to say Kingpin's Lynn Shay. (laughs) I mean, she's basically everything's Lynn Shay because she's been in so many damn movies. And she seems like she's a hoot. Like, she seems like she's just a cool person. But then we have to say Tobin Bell, a podcast co-star with Carrie Weeder in the podcast The Gloom, right? Isn't he the doctor? Absolutely. Yes, he's totally in that. Um, So, yeah, I mean, I will watch this one for the cast alone. Yeah, I wanted to watch this before it came to Shudder. And so good. Now I know it's on Shudder. Thank you, Sharon. On July 22nd. Candisha will be released. It's a new movie from the acclaimed French duo Julien Maury and Alexandre Bustillo. I probably said that totally wrong. I'm sorry. I I appreciate the effort. (laughs) Um, But the two, they've co-directed the movie Inside, which I just heard about on another podcast I started listening to um, recently called The Witchery Podcast that I love. Um, Horror podcast hosted by two British women and 
I think they're fantastic and their episodes are really fun. So check out that podcast. But also um, they mentioned Inside, which is a French horror film that's supposed to be pretty graphic, like most French horror films are, (laughs) but also supposed to be really good. So I am adding that one to my list. But Candisha is about a woman who summons a powerful demon to exact a bloody vengeance, but soon finds that the evil entity is out of control. Yikes. Last but not least, on July 29th, The Boy Behind the Door will be available. The story is about two friends, Bobby and his best friend, Kevin, who are kidnapped and taken to a strange house in the middle of nowhere. Bobby manages to escape, but as he starts to make a break for it, he hears Kevin screams for help and realizes he can't leave his friend behind. Oh, boy. That sounds right up my alley. I don't know. I. I think ever since like Stranger Things, there's all these new mm. horror films that are coming out starring kids um, as the main characters. And I'm like kind of into them. Like uh, I think 19, summer of 1984 or summer of 84 or whatever it's called. Like that was a really good movie. And then Spencer and I just finished um, the third uh, Fear Street movie last night. And I mean, it's a very young cast and that. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm kind of digging these horror movies that, Feature children is the main protagonist. But that does sound cool. I mean, cabin or house in the middle of nowhere, kids fighting for survival and hopefully winning. We'll see. Yeah, I'm down. Hopefully. Yeah, I I would hope so. I mean, I like these movies um, featuring children as like the heroes. But Mm -hmm. yeah, I don't don't really want to see kids dying. Um, (laughs) This would be a very different podcast. (laughs) (laughs) As far as the classic horror films that have made their way over to Shudder, well, there's a bunch of great ones to check out um, if you've never seen these. We have Michael Mann's serial killer masterpiece, Manhunter, featuring Brian Cox, is the first screen version of Hannibal Lecter, and Tom Noonan, who is absolutely terrifying as the Tooth Fairy. Like, seriously, he is, I mean, he's just kind of like, a creepy fucker yeah. just in general. <laughs> I love when, him, yeah. Oh, when he's in um yeah, in this role and then also the house of the devil, like he is just creepy as fuck and so scary. Yeah. Um not to mention this movie also has Stephen Lang and Joan Allen. So I mean the cast alone makes this like well worth the watch, but it's mm-hmm. it's a great movie if you've never seen this and you're a big fan of Silence of the Lambs and Hannibal and all that definitely check this out I've never seen this movie I'm gonna admit it I'm gonna come clean and I do love Brian Cox I could see him as Hannibal Lecter so I'm gonna be watching this yeah Spencer and I I think watched this last year um and we paid for it because we didn't know it was gonna be on Shutter for free yeah you live you learn Uh, Catherine Bigelow's vampire classic Near Dark, starring the late, great Bill Paxton, Mm -hmm. um, that is available now. Also, great movie if you've never seen it and you're into vampire flicks. It's uh, slightly different than your average vampire film. And then there's two favorites from the legendary director George Romero. There is Day of the Dead and also Creepshow which Spencer still has not seen Creepshow. So uh, that is going to get a watch in our house very, very soon. (laughs) Another movie that I think I just watched for the first time last year, the Jodie Foster cult classic, The Little Girl Who Lives Down the Lane. Mm. Um, 
Yeah. Which I really, really liked. Although there are some questionable <laughs> nude scenes, which it's not actually Jodie Foster. I think it's her older sister mm-hmm. who does the uh, the nude scenes. But also, she's like a 12-year-old in the movie. So it's kind of like, why is there supposed to be a naked 12-year-old in this movie? Uh, yeah. Why? It was made, what, in like the 70s or 80s? Yeah. Think about you that know, shit. In those shit, shit was more, yeah, movies were more problematic back then. Um, but it's it's a really good film. So and she's amazing. Oh, she's amazing in everything she does. Um, I, Jodie Foster was an an actress at such a young age initially, and she's so fucking smart that like it doesn't surprise me that she would be in a movie that a had nudity that she probably agreed was important to the story, but then was like, "But fuck you guys, I'm not doing it. Get a body double." And she's like twelve, and they listen to her. Um, actually, I think she. I don't think she thought that <laughs> is what I'm trying to say. But and also I think she is um, she's come out recently or more recently um, since this film was made. And she's not a big fan of this movie because of that. Uh, uh, so, yeah, it's still a really good film despite that. And I think it's worth a watch. So and she is fucking brilliant in it. Really? Yeah. And I still, even though I've watched this, I still don't get the reference to season three of Twin Peaks, the whole little girl that lives down the lane uh, question that gets brought up. But <sighs> yeah, we're not getting into that now. Uh, there's also the 1980 Jamie Lee Curtis classic Terror Train. Woo-hoo! And if you're looking for a good haunted house horror film, there's Burnt Offerings starring Horror queen, Karen Black, and one of our favorite psycho biddies, Betty Davis. Mm-hmm. And finally, one of Mindy's favorites and a movie that has heavily influenced one of my favorites, David Lynch, speaking of Twin Peaks, uh, the <laughs> 1962 surrealist horror film Carnival of Souls. Nice. Um, I have just a few quick thoughts I'd like to add, if I may. First, love to Bill Paxton. Um uh, Man, that one still stings. I'm sorry. I I still miss him very much. Miss you, Hudson. That was his character in Aliens. On a lighter note, uh, can I get a fuck yeah to Terror Train and Burnt Offerings as I've not seen either of those and I cannot wait. And finally, oh, fuck yeah, yeah. Uh, I do love Carnival of Souls. It's genius. The film is a fan favorite for David Lynch and a good fall watch to get you in the mood for Halloween. But be it October, July, whatever, I watch it all year round. So check that one out for sure. And actually, speaking of things to check out, there's a not a new series, but a new to us, a new to Amazon Prime show now streaming. Um, it's an investigation of the unknown type show that aired on A&E originally. And it's called The Low Files, L-O-W-E. Sharon, do you know about this show? I do not. What is it? So I remember hearing a blip about it, but then never looked into it. This is according to uh, A&E's press blurb about the show. The Low Files 
follows Rob Lowe and his two sons, Matthew and John Owen, as they travel through the country to explore infamous unsolved mysteries, a curiosity that Rob has had since his early childhood days and is now passed down to his boys. In each episode, Rob, Matthew, and John Owen seek out a mysterious story or spooky legend and immerse themselves in the exploration and debate of the experience. While fun and spirit, the Lowe's are able to conduct deliberate and scientific investigations on a highly sophisticated level by meeting with top experts using high-tech monitoring equipment and taking in-depth training courses. So it's not ghost-specific, really, but from what I can tell, they look for, like, cryptids, Bigfoot, hauntings, UFOs. They endure fear tests while connected to a machine to monitor the data it's collecting to see what fear does to your body. I just have I just have something to say really quick. Yeah. This is literally <laughs> the greatest news I have ever heard. Sorry, I could not help but do a Parks and Rec uh <laughs> Chris Traeger impersonation there. But no, this sounds cool. I had no idea he was into this kind of stuff. And I right. love, love me some Rob Lowe. Yeah. So I've got even better news for you. Um, but yeah, per Sharon's joke, Rob Lowe holds a special place in Sharon Spencer and Mai's heart because he, of course, will forever be Chris Traeger from Parks and Rec. But do we at first I was like, do we need another one of these ghost shows? Do we really? Um Yes, I've already watched some of it, and I just found out about this a few days ago. Um, but since we love synchronicities on this show, I thought this quote would be appropriate to share, and I wanted you to hear it, Sharon. Okay. Uh, Rob Lowe made this quote while on a press junket. Uh, he said, quote, My sons and I have always loved adventures together, and the people at A&E had asked me if there was anything in the reality space that I would even consider doing. I said, well... I'd like to do something that would be like the shows that I loved growing up and the shows I love now, like Anthony Bourdain, Parts Unknown, and, you know, mix that in with Scooby-Doo. <laughs> and they said they could do it. Uh, so synchronicities. I literally just read this like yesterday, this quote. What subject did we recently cover? Uh, last week, we did, <laughs> we did everything you want to know about Scooby-Doo, but we're afraid to ask. <laughs> <laughs> and I know most horror fans love the Scoob, but um, I also kind of love that that's how Rob Lowe described what he wanted the tone of the show to be like. Um, and it actually kind of is. Quick first impressions, Lowe and his sons genuinely enjoy each other's presence and are having a blast, which makes it a blast to watch. Um, they make fun of each other. They're very genuine. And I, it, like, even if it's not super scary or engaging in that way, just watching them interact is awesome. And I know that people put on a persona when they're in public, but Rob Lowe seems like a fucking cool guy and a fantastic, fantastic dad. Um, he and his Parks and Rec counterpart aren't too different. Uh, like Chris, Rob is super friendly, open, and genuine, even when running into fans. Although he does eat lots of donuts. He likes donuts, which I know Chris <laughs> Traeger never would. Um, so final thoughts. <laughs> the topics are really interesting. The fear episode was super interesting. Um, and maybe it may not be a very scary show necessarily, but it certainly has the most heart of any paranormal show I've ever seen, which is actually kind of totally worth watching so it is literally worth your time 
That's cool. I think we have to um, tweet at him our Scooby-Doo episode and be like, hey, we heard you like Scooby-Doo. <laughs> I'm on it. Listen to this episode. All right. Well, let's move on uh, to some Danny Trejo news. So actor Danny Trejo just released a memoir in which he talks about that one time he spent time in jail with notorious criminal and cult leader Charles Manson. The two were both incarcerated in the Los Angeles County Jail in 1961. The Machete star recounted his hypnotizing experience with Manson to the Daily Mail. So Trejo was just 17 years old at the time (gasps) and remembered Manson as being greasy and dirty, noting that he was so scrawny that he needed protection. Trejo wrote, quote, he was so poor he didn't have a belt and instead used a piece of string to keep his pants up. I felt sorry for him. It was clear the only shower the man was ever going to have was the one he was going to get in jail, end quote. I didn't think you were allowed to have belts or ropes in prison. <laughs> like That seems dangerous, but whatever. This was the 60s. <laughs> I thought that's why they made those jumpsuits. Whatever. <laughs> so this was before the horrible Manson murders that took place in 1969. So keep that in mind. Right. Trejo goes on to say... He was like a five foot slick little wimp. He wasn't a bully, wasn't a thug, but he had the jargon of prison and jail. Not long after they first met, Manson offered to lead Trejo and some other inmates through a form of meditation that he promised could get them high without using any drugs. Uh. After sitting down with Trejo and the rest of the group, Manson told them to close their eyes as the guided meditation began. Sharon, I'm freaking out. This is awesome. Please keep going. Trejo wrote, quote, for 15 minutes in great detail, he walked us through the process of copying the dope, finding a place to fix, cooking the heroin in a spoon, drawing it into a needle and sticking it into our veins. The process was so effective that Trejo felt as if he was actually using. Even before I fake fixed, I could taste it in my mouth. Any junkie knows what that is like. By the time he described it hitting my bloodstream, I felt the warmth flowing through my body. If that white boy wasn't a career (laughs) criminal, he could have been a professional hypnotist, end quote. Oh my God, there's so much about this that's fantastically amazing. Well, you can read it all in Trejo's book titled Trejo, My Life of Crime, Redemption, and Hollywood. It was released on July 6th this year. And in raw detail, Danny Trejo recounts his 11 years in and out of prison, his road to sobriety, growing up in a Mexican-American household, and the intergenerational trauma that he endured, and the ways that fatherhood changed him and his acting career and foray into the food scene. So it sounds really interesting. I don't know if I'll get around to reading it, but maybe an audiobook. I would actually love to see a documentary on his life because his life sounds really fascinating. Um, yeah. And a, just a little bit of trivia here because I love my little trivia. According to Trejo's IMDb page, he holds 407 <laughs> acting credits and has been killed on screen more than any other actor. He's number one. He's number one. <laughs> yeah, he's fascinating. And 
Rob Lowe hasn't done half of the things that Danny Trejo ended up in prison for, like even coming close. But he's in like it's funny that we're talking about two guys that were able to turn their lives around and get their shit together and like make something positive out of it because he's amazing, Danny Trejo. And probably very intimidating, so I could see how <laughs> he would look at me. I like that Manson was, Manson was a f- five-foot-tall shrimp. Wimp, not shrimp, but yes. I, I like the fact that he, you know, because Manson thought very highly of himself and thought he was, you know, smarter than everyone else. So I I like that Trejo basically took him down a bunch of not- notches and was like, no, this guy was this guy was nothing. He's a little wimpy loser that, you know, preyed on on people who basically had some problems in their lives and needed someone to look up to and guide them. And unfortunately, he took a lot of people down a very dark road. I have a lot of thoughts about Charles Manson, which I'm not going to get into, but um, I do think it's fascinating how he describes being put into a meditative state to the fact to the point that he could fucking taste heroin and like get that I need to look into that more that's crazy so one final thing before we end this July tidbits of terror if you're a fan of the documentaries in search of darkness parts one and two the creator of the series shares an update on part three Uh, It was announced back in May of this year that the third part was in development, but now we have a little more insight into part three. And if you have not seen In Search of Darkness 1 and 2 on Shudder, you really need to get on that ASAP. Mm -hmm. It will take you over eight hours (laughs) to watch both documentaries, but it is well worth it, Um, especially if you're nostalgic for 80s horror like Mindy and I are. But even if you're not, they are two of the best horror documentaries that I've ever watched. And in the first two parts, the filmmakers sit down and talk to some of the most iconic actors, directors, makeup and special effects artists in the history of horror, including. You ready for this list? Yes, do it. Hit me. Tom Atkins, Clancy Brown, Nancy Allen, Joe Bob Briggs, John Carpenter, Nick Castle, Barbara Crampton, Joe Dante, Keith David, Larry Cohen, Jeffrey Combs, and many, many more, including Freddie himself, Robert England. Uh, The first part is more of an exploration of 80s horror movies through the perspective of the actors, directors, producers, and special effects craftspeople who made them and their impact on contemporary cinema. And then part two dives deeper into the practical effects decade of 80s horror movies with all new interviews from the genre icons uh, that I just mentioned and industry experts in the original cast, but with, you know, they add even more uh, interviews with new cast members. It's it's a super deep dive. Let's put it that way. Very, very much so. Both parts cover movies in chronological order, starting with 1980 all the way through 89. And now for what we've all been waiting for, creator David Weiner offered a quick update on the third installment of the iconic series. And this comes from Dread Central. This is what David had to say about the upcoming third film, quote, I am very much looking forward to embarking on the final chapter journey of our 80s horror documentary trilogy, In Search of Darkness Part 3. 
With so much ground to cover, we'll be diving deep into the underbelly of the genre with another extended length super doc. And we are saving the best for last. (gasps) Stay tuned to our at 80s horror doc socials on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook for new announcements about the project from creator VC as we crawl closer and closer to our favorite month, October. End quote. So does this mean that part three will be available to watch this Halloween season? Um, That would be the ultimate treat for us horror fans. Uh, Pun once again intended. (laughs) But seriously, I didn't know that they were making a third one. And to have another one so soon, that would be amazing. So I'm really excited about this one because I honestly cannot get enough of like 80s horror or 80s in general. I'm just kind of obsessed with uh, that decade. But I kind of hope they go on to do um, a 90s documentary series or a 70s one or a 2000s one. I mean, there's so many great horror movies out there. They can obviously like continue this into other decades as well. So if you're listening, David, (laughs) hope you're uh, considering that because there's a lot of horror fans out there that would love to see that. And it is the first two parts are are lengthy, as Sharon mentioned. But I remember starting the first one and then at one point being like, because they do go chronologically and at one point being like, oh, my God, we're already up to year whatever. Like it flies by so quickly. It's real easy to kill those eight hours in no time. Yeah, it's fascinating. (sighs) All right. Well, thank you all for listening to us. If you want us to read your ghost stories on our show. Please write to us at horrorstalkhorror at gmail.com. You can also write to us with any episode ideas, recommendations on what you would like us to watch, any true crime stories, creepy stories that you have, or maybe about that one time you were in jail with Charles (laughs) Manson. Anything you want us to read on our show, please write to us. We love hearing from you. Danny Trejo, if you'd like to promote your book and tell us more about getting... uh, (laughs) put under what uh a spell Doing by- guided meditation with charles manson but it's, it sounds more like he got put under jesus that's so weird i'm gonna be thinking about that all day yeah write us danny trejo and everyone else uh please also subscribe to us on your streaming platform of choice and rate and review us because it does truly help us get more exposure uh if you're able please join our patreon so that you can get early access to episodes see exclusive posts and get some cool shit meaning stuff not actual shit in the mail (laughs) we would never do that to you um thank you everyone for continuing to listen please be kind to each other be safe out there and as always thanks thanks for for getting getting creepy with us. us sharon you want a beer uh oh my god